Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are going to uh, sidestep our series and step into the book of Joshua. Yes. yes, yes, we are. The book of Joshua. And um, we're going to cover quite a few chapters today, but don't worry, I'm going to give you an overview of a couple of the chapters. But I uh, was able to minister at a conference yesterday, and this sermon just really anchored in my own heart and resonated with so many, and it's, I thought it would be uh, it's very timely also for us as a city, as a church. And so instead of letting that sermon go to waste, I said, you know what, we're going to bring it to legacy this morning. The title of the sermon today, if you're taking notes, is Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. It's not my words. It's not my text. It's actually what Joshua said thousands of years ago to the people of Israel. The book of Joshua chapter 1, we will begin our journey and we'll march through a couple uh, chapters together, look at the text closely. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. The the, I'm sorry, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. I want to talk about this. This is part of the theme that we looked at yesterday at the conference is being bold as lions. Bold as lions. Boldness in this city in this day is very difficult to pull off because we don't want to ruffle people's feathers. We don't want to cause any conflict or issues. And I get it. I don't want to be that guy either. Trust me, I really don't. But there comes a time when we need to be bold and we need to stand for things that are true. We see something wrong, we should stand up and say something. We see something not going the way it's supposed to. We, especially if we know it's immoral or it's not right, we should intervene. We should speak up. We especially, family, you know, have to speak up for the innocent. We have to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Especially if you have a position of power or influence or money, resources. If you have the opportunity to do so, and you know that your voice carries weight in a situation, I encourage you to be bold. That doesn't mean we need to be jerks. We don't need to be mean. We can smile and be bold. We can be friendly and be bold. We can be gentle and still be bold. We can be humble and still be bold. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is the ability to absolutely take over or have authority to crush and conquer, but still not choosing to do so, keeping all of that under control and in constraint. It is when the great king, as you're standing before, and you know you deserve punishment, he has the power to crush you, but he shows meekness. He shows mercy. He shows grace, and he lets that go. Lions are a great picture of boldness because when people think about a lion, they no doubt see that animal as one of the boldest in the wilderness. They say in the jungle, but there aren't really lions in the jungle. 
the plains of Africa. This is where we'll find them. The lion is bold. It's a determined beast. It's fearless. It's confident. Unbelievably strong and resolute in its pursuit. They protect. They fight. They hunt. And they defend their territory. When they roar, their voice can be heard up to five miles away. They can run as fast as 50 miles an hour. And they can jump as far as 36 feet in a single leap. At 50 miles an hour, when they jump, they can cover 36 feet. A full-grown male lion can grow up to 570 pounds. Can you imagine? That's a tank. But it's solid muscle and absolutely fast. We talk about the eyes of a tiger, the eye of the tiger, that look, that seriousness, that focus. What about the eyes of a lion? Their boldness is innate. It's in their blood. They're born with it. It's pure instinct given to them by God to be in the presence of a lion that is about to charge is wild. Maybe you've seen it in the zoo. They crouch down, you lock eyes with it for a second, and you're like, is this glass good? <laughs> the back hair stands up on that animal. The eyes lock with its challenger, and it creeps in patience and begins to walk. And the deep stare shows up. That boldness that can't be broken appears, and it's scary. Anyone within 30 feet of that animal is running for their life or jumping in the car, getting away as fast as possible. You see, only if the matrix were true and we could download the boldness of a lion into the back of our necks. Because, man, I want that boldness sometimes. Again, again, not out of control, but meekness perfectly in control, but boldness in the eyes. Boldness in the heart, boldness in the mind, an ability to stand in the face of the enemy, the ability to stand in the face of a challenger and not become overwhelmed, not become out of control, but in self-control, to pursue in patience and to stay focused and to accomplish that mission. We need boldness more than ever in this city. We are nervous about what other people think. I know, me too. And I, I want to please people. I want to make people happy. I want them to like me. I want them to have a good time. But I found that trying to please everyone, you actually please no one, and you find yourself empty. The Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare or a trap. A snare is a trap that you set for an animal. The fear of man, the fear of people, is actually a trap. When you live in fear of what people think of you, you're setting a trap for yourself. Benjamin Franklin said, a man without courage is a knife without an edge. It's just dull. It has no purpose. And we have set up a society in which if you get out of line with what everybody else is doing, they'll get mad at you. They'll start yelling at you and they'll try to shut you down. But man, I am so thankful for those who stand for what is right and what is true. 
I know of a bolder one than the lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the creator. He is the alpha and the omega. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the developer, maker, and sustainer of the lion. He is bolder than a lion. The boldness of the lion that we are looking for is not found in our boots. I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and make it happen. It's not found in our own strength. It's found in our God. It's found in Him. He's the one who created it. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord who is over all lords. And family, we need His boldness. And if we have His boldness, who can be against us? If I have the boldness and strength of God within me, even if I'm standing before kings and queens, who can be against me? Who can stand against me? I want to look at the epic tale of Joshua, the general of Israel. Joshua led Israel into 13 wars. He was called to take over from Moses and lead the children of Israel into the promised land and conquer all its enemies on its way. And I want us to see his steadfast vision, his boldness, his immovable pursuit of carrying out God's plan and will. He's probably the greatest general of Israel because he conquered 13 major wars and brought them into the promised land. He completed the task handed to him. He did not fail and he did not waver. He sought the Lord with every step and God gave him favor. But I want you to know he was just a soldier of the Lord doing his job. He just so happened to be the guy that God called to take on the task. But he had the boldness of the Lord in him and it was contagious. He was able to move an army and strengthen them by the power of God. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 in Joshua chapter 1. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to remember whose word we're reading. This isn't my words. You've got to remember, my words can never change you. Only the word of God can change you. I can motivate, I can encourage, I can help, but I can't transform the heart. I wish I could. I would do heart surgery on everyone here in L.A. I would rip out that heart of stone and I would give them a heart of flesh. But I can't do it. We need God to do that work. And his word, we know, is powerful than any two-edged sword. It cuts into the soul, in the spirit. It divides it. It discerns our thoughts. That's why sometimes when you're hearing a sermon, you're like, I think he's speaking to me. Did he read my mail this week? No, I didn't. It's the spirit of God speaking to you through his word. Joshua chapter 1, starting verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the great river Euphrates and the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun the, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. 
For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you that we've come here to worship this morning, to seek you. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, you would open our minds, you would open our ears to hear from you. That you would minister to us in our situation. You would speak to us clearly in our lives. We thank you for your word that it transforms us and moves us in closer relationship with you. It enlightens the eyes, softens the heart. Minister to us, we pray by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Wow. Sounds good. <laughs> Cheers. Moses had just died after leading the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. And he has raised up Joshua to lead the people at the will of the Lord. And God spoke to Joshua with a specific mission. It's here in verses 2 to 5. Here is the mission. Take a look. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, the Jordan River. You and all this people into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet touches, you tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. And no man, no woman, no one shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I love these words. He says to Joshua, God says to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's a lot of people that will leave us in life, but God will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. He loves his kids. Our God is for his kids. He pursues us to the very end. I'm telling you, there are a lot of things that will fail and fall apart in life, but the one thing that remains consistent generation after generation is the love of God in his people's lives. Point number one, if you're taking notes today, is you can be bold when God is your backup. You can be bold when God is your backup. No one can stand against you, he said to Joshua, because I am with you. No one will be able to stand against you because I'm with you. Romans 8, 31, what, what shall we say to these things then? If God is for us, truly, who can be against us? If God is on my side, it doesn't matter who is against me. Because he created all things, he owns all things. And that's the only one I ultimately need on my side. Can you imagine being in war, and you're by yourself, and it seems like just... One or two people are shooting at you, but all of a sudden, 
a hundred men come over the hill with guns firing at you. They start charging down the hill and you get down behind the sandbags and you're yelling on your walkie for backup. And the guys aren't showing up. But can you imagine if your backup was the Air Force? There comes a helicopter over the ridge. Let me take it one step higher. What if your backup was God? And you're like, Lord, bring it in. And he shows up. It's like, well, I'll take care of it. King Hezekiah, the great king, standing there in his castle thousands of years ago. The Bible tells us that there were 185,000 men outside of the city walls. They had come to tear his, his kingdom down to wipe out the people, 185,000 soldiers. He was scared to death, and he went, and a decree was brought to him from the other king. He said, you better give it up, or we're going to destroy everything. He takes the decree, he lays it before the Lord God, and he prays to God and begs God to save him in the kingdom. That night, the Bible says the angel of the Lord showed up, one angel, and took out 185,000 men. And in the morning, when Hezekiah got up and looked over the city walls, there was just a sea of dead men. The angel of the Lord showed up and wiped out the entire army in one night. It shows the power of Almighty God. If he actually is the creator, if he actually does own all of this, if he is for us, truly who can be against us? This is how it was for Joshua in war. God was his backup. When the Lord is your backup, you can be bold in any situation. Whether it is with the person at your work or if you're standing again before a king. When God is with you, you're covered. You can take the risk. Never believe, uh, I'll never forget the, uh, the king there, uh, the, the ruler in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Where he is standing there before the crowd and Paul was giving an account because he was under arrest, but this king was standing there, and as he came out, the crowd started chanting the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. They're chanting this. The voice of a God this king is. Not, he's not even a man. He's supernatural. He's on another level. And he's like, yes, thank you for the chanting. I love it. This is fantastic. And the text says, that because he did not give glory to God, but he received all the glory as God, that worms built up in his insides and ate him from the inside out. And the dogs came and ate him. I thought you were a great king. Oh, God can simply take you away just like that. Who has the power? When God is your backup, we can be bold. If he's really there, if he's really in us, we don't need to be mean or rude. We can be kind and gentle and still be bold. When God is with you, you're covered. You can take a risk. Joshua is going to take radical risks in the text before us. I don't want to lead anybody into war. That's dangerous, that's scary, that's difficult. It's a great risk, people will die. But I'm telling you that there is a spiritual war going on right now in our city. 
All of these surface things are just surface. But what's going on behind the scenes? What's going on behind all of this? As much physical as you see going on, there is spiritual. Did you know? We, we think that all of these, these problems with people, all of these things that are overtaking them, we only look at the physical. We don't look at the mental problems. We don't look at the emotional problems. How did we leave out the spiritual problems? Has anyone considered that? There is a spiritual war going on, and we need to be bold in it. We need to call it what it is especially if the Lord is with us and calling us to stand in truth in this city. Why else are we here? To make money? To be successful? To gain power? Maybe that's part of it. So that you can use it for God's glory. So you can love and serve people like nobody else will. If God has given you all of those things, why don't you use it to bless other people? Why don't you use it to serve other people and the way God has done for us? He owns all the power. He owns all the money. He is the most famous in the universe. And he uses it to serve and love his people. What a great king we have. If the Lord is with us, why are we scared? Scared to speak up, scared to speak truth? Scared to stand for the truth, scared our king won't show up and save us. Do you remember the people of Israel? Remember the Egyptians barreling down the hill to crush them at the Red Sea? Do you remember? Exodus 14:10 says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it's because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The people got delivered out of Egypt. They're in slavery. Moses brought them out there, and they're backed up against the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, the Egyptian army shows up with their chariots and their horses, and they're barreling down the hill, coming to slaughter the children of Israel. And the people start freaking out. They're like, Moses, you idiot. You should have left us in Egypt. We were off better there. What have you brought us out here to dig graves so that we can all die out here? And he's like, stand back, you idiots. And watch the Lord move. He tells them, be silent. No one say a word. God is going to fight for you right now. That's exactly what happened. The Red Sea opened, and boom, all of the people walked on dry ground, it says. And they came to the other side, and I want to challenge you today and say, you know what? You can bless God before the Red Sea is parted. Did you know that? So many of us are waiting for that Red Sea to be part in our life. We're waiting for that thing to happen. There's a problem going on. The enemy is after us. There's things going down in our life. And, and we're nervous, and we're scared, and we're complaining. 
Lord, why are you doing this? You brought us out here to die. And the Lord is saying, stand back. Listen, you will praise God after the Red Sea is parted, no doubt. I know you. I know me. When the Red Sea is parted and the miracle happens, we stand back and say, God, thank you. Why, why was I doubting? Why was I so nervous? Why was I so overwhelmed? Why didn't I just trust you? But I'm telling you right now, before that Red Sea is parted, in the tribulation, in the trial, you can start praising God now. Lord, I believe you. You've taken care of me in the past. You're going to take care of me in the future. I'm going to bless you now. I'm going to worship you now. I'm going to honor you now. I'm going to walk with you now. Can you imagine if the children of Israel were praising God as the Egyptians were coming at them? They all of a sudden started singing to the Lord. Can you imagine? Moses leads them in song. He says, let's do that chorus again. Hit the, hit the horns, let's go. And the people erupt in worship. Then Moses lifts the staff and boom, the thing parts and everybody just dances through the Red Sea. They watch God move. Too often we are overwhelmed by our situation and our trial and we can't praise God in the middle of it, but I'm telling you that if we believe God is here and with us, we can celebrate now. We can have boldness to stand in truth if God is with us. The Lord is with you. He's your backup. You can be bold. Andrew Jackson said, one man with courage makes a majority. It's one person. It's all we need. One, to stand in courage and watch how it changes things. You ever see one person stand and complain and tear down the whole business? Literally one person starts being negative, starts tearing the whole thing down. What if we have one person stand up and say, no, we're not doing that. This is not right. Look what he told Joshua next, verse 6. He said, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Love that. Very courageous, he says. Be careful, being careful to do all according to the law. And then he says, verse 8, don't miss this. Verse 7, sorry, second half. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here's the contingency. You can be bold, point number two if you're taking notes. You can be bold when you are walking in God's word. You can be extra bold when you're walking in God's word. Be strong and courageous in the word of the Lord. The Lord told Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And here it is. Being careful. Careful to do according to all that the law of Moses my servant commanded. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night. Then you will have good success. Then you will prosper. Then you will be strong and courageous. That it is what is contingent upon. That's what it holds on to. It seems there is a stipulation in the contract in which you have to be walking in the ways of the Lord in order for things to work out long term. But why is this rocket science? I'm going to run from God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be God. I'm going to obey my own commands. And boom, everything starts going downhill and life gets messed up. And God says, am I not the creator of life? Do I not know how this thing works? Listen to me. You think my commands are trying to ruin your party? They are not a burden. I'm trying to bless you. Are we mad at the street lights? Yeah, I can't believe they go red and green like that. It's the worst thing they ever did. Why do they do that? These commands are dumb. I don't like them. We should have no street lights. Just let everybody just hammer through as fast as they can. I'll never forget when I was actually in Egypt. I was in Cairo. We went to Dahab and then we went to Egypt in Cairo. And I'm in a taxi and this dude is just hammering on the road. There were street lights, but nobody wanted to obey them. I was like, this is crazy. I looked at the parallel parking and the bumpers were touching each other. Literally just like bing, 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 bing. They just get in there. Nobody obey. And so people, like a, a mother and her child trying to cross the street and everybody's just going. Like nobody will stop. And so she's just like trying to run through. I'm like, this is, what's going on here? I mean, it was kind of fun, but it's like, it's not fun if you live there, right? Yeah, these commandments are the worst. Maybe they're trying to make things easier for life. Maybe they're trying to bring good success and prosperity to your life by simply walking in the ways of the Lord. I remember when this happened in my own life. It's probably around 24, 25 years old. The lights turned on inside. I was just doing everything wrong. Even though I knew the commands of the Lord, I was choosing not for some reason to walk in them fully. And I'm not perfect by any means. My gosh, I fail so much. Just ask my wife. But there was a time when I said, you know what? I'm sick of doing my own thing. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I saw my finances clean up. I saw stop making problems for my life. I wasn't paranoid anymore. I wasn't always nervous. You don't have to lie about things. You can be honest. You don't have to dig holes anywhere that you have to go back and cover up. Just walk with the Lord. He cleans up life very quickly. It's amazing how that works. It's a principle in the universe. Confidence in the Lord shows up in our lives when we're living out his word. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You guys know this one well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. It says submit to him. We've replaced that, I think, with a, with a, a modern translation. Something that says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. It says Submit and he will make your path straight. Then he will make your path straight. We stop walking in the word and the ways of the Lord. Our boldness is stripped away from us. You know who's the greatest picture of this? Samson. 
Samson is a great picture, but one of the scariest in the Bible. He was a he-man with a she-weakness. Come on, it's a joke. Lighten up. The beard stops you from seeing my smile. I noticed this. I actually have little, like, smile under there sometimes. But I know people look at me on the street, you know, the bigger the beard gets, the more, like, scary, you know, something is wrong there. They either... They either think uh, I am uh, a terrorist, they think I'm uh, homeless, or they think I'm Jesus. You know, it's like um, when I used to have hair, use your imagination. But he went off with the Philistine woman named Delilah. He did opposite the word of the Lord in his life, and he told her the secret of his strength and broke his Nazarite vow. One of the scariest verses in the Bible, Judges chapter 16, verse 19, just listen. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Samson had most beautiful hair, giant locks, big like horse, heavy hair. And it was the secret to his strength. We know he ripped the doors off of a castle and took them and set them on a hill. He killed thousands of men with the jawbone of a donkey. He's like, give me that jawbone. And he just starts hacking away, takes them all down. He had super strength. God gave it to him. And it says Delilah had a man come and shave off of his, his locks, his strength, as he was sleeping on her lap. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, Philistine. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep. And he said, I will go out as other times and I will shake myself free. They, they handcuffed him and they were going to take him away. And he says, I got super strength. He thought he could just mess around and do whatever he wants and just break out free again and just be on his way. He says, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But the text says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't know. But he stopped walking in the ways of the Lord, so why wouldn't he know? It creeps up on us. We start slowly walking away from the Lord and doing our own things. We get away from meditating on him day and night, and before you know it, we're off over in left field. How do we get here? And then all of a sudden, we're surprised, and we wake up, and we find ourselves without the strength of the Lord. I have no boldness. I feel like I can stand up and say anything. Family, let it never be true of us because we have chosen to run from the Lord and his word. Let it never be. You know the word of the Lord. In family legacy, you walk in the ways of the Lord. And God continues to bless you and prosper you in the city and take care of you and give you peace. And he's going to continue to do so. We can't be very bold when we are living in sin. We're running from God. But when we are in his word, walking humbly with our God, not perfect, nobody is perfect, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just simply turn towards him with all of our hearts, depending on him and his word daily, then we can be bold as lions. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. And in it, 
They meditate day and night. They shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaves never wither, and whatever they do, they prosper. Because they're anchored, the roots go into the word of God. And it brings forth fruit in their life. One of the church fathers said, there can be no courage in men unless God supports them by his word. Our courage comes from him. Joshua had boldness because he was a man of the word. The word of God strengthened his leadership. He would not waver one bit, and it was the secret of all of his success. He simply listened and obeyed the word of the Lord in his life, and the Lord was with him. I'll never forget when I was like 19 or 20, uh, I would go up and talk to people about God. I'd go out on the streets with a bunch of kids. We'd go out and just talk to people about God. The college campuses, I remember there was a Starbucks over by this college campus, and uh, there was a doctor sitting there, and I walked up, and I said, hey, I want to tell you about God. He looks at me like, oh, okay, you know. And we start talking about the Bible. And I remember at the end, this is why I remember, because I knew I was a young, dumb kid. But I was just telling him what the Bible had said, and he was just listening. What a gracious man. Just listening to this young kid. He looks at me at the end of it, he says, you're very wise. I said, What? He says, you're very wise. I said, I, I remember thinking as I walked away, I'm not wise. I'm just telling him what the Bible says. This is where the gold is found. I'm just a young, dumb kid trying to figure it out, trying to apply it in my own life. But this is the gold. It makes wise the simple, Psalm 19 says. I'm simple. It's God's work. And I believe with Joshua, God did the same thing in his life. We're going to jump over a couple chapters. I'm going to tell you what happened, okay? In chapter 2, Joshua the general sends two men into the land of Jericho to spy out the land. And we know Jericho was a castle, was a city that's walls were like 20 feet thick, 30 feet thick, hundreds of feet high. No one can penetrate these city walls. It was a castle of all castles. Like, you're not taking this thing down. And you don't go in lightly. If you're going to go in, you better go in with a million men. You want to take this thing over. So Joshua sends two guys in to go spy out Jericho, this city. And we know they find Rahab the prostitute, and she hides them in her home from the king of Jericho as he finds out these men are in the city walls. Rahab tells them that the whole city is already in fear of Israel because they have heard what God did at the Red Sea with the Egyptians. The work of the Lord had already spread through the land, and the hearts of everyone in Jericho had already melted in fear. The men promised to rescue Rahab and her family when they come back with Joshua to conquer the city. This is awesome. The spies, the two guys who went into the city, were strengthened and emboldened in courage because they were told the fear of the Lord had already come upon the city. The whole city had heard through the grapevine what happened at the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, Joshua and Israel are standing at the gates outside camp not far away, and the king of Jericho finds out, who is that out there? One of the men comes back, it's Israel. Wait, is that Moses and the Red Sea, those people? Yeah. 
Didn't like their God show up and like part the Red Sea and like killed the entire Egyptian army? What in the world happened? They're going to attack us. Get ready for battle. The spies go in. And when they talk to Rahab the prostitute, interesting, God uses a prostitute to save Israel. That's a whole sermon. God uses sinners, broken people. He redeems their life and he uses it for great things. Guess what? That was all of us. We're all broken people that he takes and puts back together and uses us for great things. Praise God. But when they get in there, they start talking to Rahab and Rahab says, oh, the whole city is scared of you guys. What? Really? Yeah, we heard the news. We heard what happened at the war at the Red Sea. What happened? You guys must have an incredible army. They're like... Well, actually, the people were complaining, and everybody was freaking out. They were all scared to death, and Moses said, get back, you idiots, and um, our God's kind of awesome. He shows up and fights for us. They heard about the Lord God, and they were already in fear. One of my favorite things that happened this last year is when two churches here in L.A. stood up to all that was going on. Boldness. I wish I had the boldness. I wish I had the resources. I wish I had the fervor to get after it because I'm so thankful that this, somebody actually did this. In this last year, Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena and Grace Community Church in Sun Valley went to court and sued the governor for trying to stop church from happening. Grace Community Church with John MacArthur was awarded $800,000 that the governor has to pay. Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena also won their court case against the state and governor and now have to be paid $1.3 million. And, and the judge ordered in both cases that no government can ever tell church what they're to be doing and how they're to function in California. This is because two churches stood up to the state and said, this is wrong. You can't do this. And everybody said, no, don't do this. What are you doing? You're wrong. You're wrong as a church. You shouldn't be doing this. We say, okay, let's let the judges decide then who's right. And the judges decided in court, in law. And we have autonomy as churches in California that a lot of other states don't have because of this ruling. Is that incredible or what? In California, that's why every time you see on the news, watch this, every time you see on the news, mandate this, mandate that, you have to do this, you can't do that, notice they never mention churches anymore. They can't. Yep, can't go to the bar, can't do this, can't do that, entertainment, this, 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 events, all of these things, never will you see churches in there again because it was wrong. And that's the power of boldness. The new mandates in place do not apply to the churches in California, incredible. Because of those cases, it brought autonomy to the churches and no one can now sue us for that. We need to be responsible and I tell our church over and over, hey, if you need to be vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you don't want to be vaccinated, don't be vaccinated. 
If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Please self-govern. You do whatever you think is best for your family. You will not tell me what is best for my family, and you don't want me telling you what is best for your family. Thus, we should all self-govern. It's very simple. This is America. This is why we live here. The fear of the Lord has come upon them, come upon our city. They have heard the news that the court cases were won, thus no one will touch it with a 10-foot pole any longer. Don't mess with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he just might show up. Great fear overtook Jericho because of the news they heard about the God of Israel. In chapter 3, the Lord tells Joshua that he will begin to, sh to show the people of Israel that he is with Joshua as he was with Moses. How will he do this? He tells Joshua, this is how I'm going to show the people that I'm with you. I am going to part the Jordan River just as I parted the Red Sea with Moses, and you're going to walk on dry ground with this new generation. And they're going to see that I am with you just as I was with Moses. I'm going to do the same miracle just in two different rivers, two different seas. And the Lord does it. And they get ready. And the priests walk in with the Ark of the Covenant. And as their feet, their ankles touch the water, the water recedes and it stands up. In chapter 4, the Lord tells Joshua to have 12 men one from each tribe, take a stone from the bottom of the Jordan River, a stone of remembrance, and to tell future generations of what the Lord has done. He says, hey guys, you see the water standing up on its side here in the Jordan River? Yeah, this is crazy. You see those stones in the bottom? You 12 men, grab these stones, pick them up, and drag them out. Really? Okay, I'm glad I'm doing my CrossFit this week. Let's go. Goes and picks up these stones, and they carry them out, and they said, these stones will be stones of remembrance, to tell future generation, our children's children, of the greatness of our God. You will continue to tell the story of the greatness of our God and what he has done. And I am telling you, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, please continue to tell the next generation of the greatness of our God. Family, the best thing you could ever do for the next generation and your children, your nieces and nephews, your, your uh, great-grandchildren and your grandchildren is to tell them about what God has done in your life. God did this in my life. Never forget my pop. My pop was, uh, he grew up in Little Italy, Ohio, and uh, he ran with a mob until he was 30 years old. He was doing a lot of bad things. And uh, he moved here to California to get away from the whole thing. But he, my pop was the guy with the big neck. You know, he kind of just stands there. He's just like, he's just a tank, man. Like you just, uh, when I was in his presence, I felt full authority, like all the time, because he just was immovable. He didn't talk a lot, but when he spoke, everyone listened. He's that guy. And um, I'll never forget, again, he didn't tell me a lot about the Lord growing up. He would have uh, individual conversations every once in a while he would say something but when we went to church and I would watch him in church he'd start crying he, he would just be overwhelmed by the presence of God and the Word of God I just you see this tough man this Italian gangster just like bawling his eyes out moved by God and I'm telling you about it today because it moved me it said something to me 
And you need to tell your children how God has impacted you. You need to tell the young people around you how God has impacted you. You need to carry on that legacy. I love these stones of remembrance. In chapter 5, we have one of my favorite moments in the Bible. It starts in verse 13. Take a look back in our text. Take a look at chapter 5, verse 13. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he takes a walk. The general Joshua, he goes up to Jericho and he starts looking at the land. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with a sword drawn in his hand. A sword drawn means ready for war. Joshua standing there on the hill, looking around, just checking out Jericho and how they're going to conquer. And all of a sudden he looks off and there's a man standing there with his sword drawn. I can see Joshua grab his sword and be like, you want to go right now? Are you serious? And Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us or are you against us? And the man said, no. I am the commander of the Lord's army and I have come. Joshua went to him in boldness and said, are you for us or against us? And the answer that came forth is not what Joshua expected, no. Are you for us or against us? No. Are you for us or against us? I said, no. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua thinking, I thought I was the commander of the Lord's army. It is the king of all kings. It is the Lord of all lords. What some say is a theophany or a Christophany. The Lord Jesus Christ standing there in the Old Testament. How do we know? Look at the text. It says, Joshua, the general of Israel, fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him. And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua sees the Lord worships and says, I am your servant. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do, Lord? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, this is what I want you to do. Take off your sandals. What? Take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. I thought he was going to give him instruction on how to conquer Jericho. He says, no, no, let's get things right real quick here. Who's in charge? Who's the commander? Who's leading this army? It's the Lord. Joshua takes off his sandals and he bows down and worships. Point number three, you can be bold when you have been with the Lord first. You can be bold in war, in battle, when you have been with the Lord first. And you recognize who this battle belongs to. Who the true commander of the Lord's army is. Who the real one is who's about to go into battle. It's really an interesting text because it ends there. We don't know what happened after Joshua took off his sandals and stayed with the Lord, being refreshed and prepared for the next week of war. I love this. That chapter ends that way. Surely chapter 6 picks up and the Lord starts giving him instruction, but it is very interesting that Joshua stayed there. But I'm not surprised that about this uh, I'm not exactly surprised at what he did because he actually did this often. Listen to this, Exodus 33, 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. 
God used to talk to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, they would go into this tent of meeting to do so. And it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Can you believe that? He stayed in the tent. He wouldn't leave. He stayed there. Moses would go and meet with God in the tent of meeting and seek his face and pray to him and talk with him. Joshua would sneak in behind the assistant and he would just watch Moses. Then when Moses would leave, Joshua would just stay there with God. He knew the Lord. I love this picture. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Who? Whose strength will be renewed? They that wait upon the Lord. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Boldness comes from waiting upon the Lord, renewing our strength daily as we wait on Him and we don't grow weary. I want to encourage you, church. Spend time with God daily. Spend time seeking Him daily in the morning. When you get up, Lord, I give you this day. Walk with me. Let me walk with you. Let me know you more. Lay your burdens at His feet. Commune with your God. Allow him to prepare you for the day. Some are weary because they don't wait upon the Lord. They are not filled each day. We need God to fill us. So you charge in your phone. You're charging your phone every single day. The battery goes dry. You need to plug into God. You need to allow him to recharge your spirit. This is where boldness comes from. But I want to say this to you. We can't stand in boldness until we have bowed in worship. And Joshua got on his face. He bowed before the Lord and he worshiped. And the Lord started to minister to him and prepare him for battle. All of this preparation for boldness and war. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. They were scared to death. They, they, they boarded up the windows of the city. They were nervous. Israel is outside the walls. Jericho, nobody went in or out. Everybody was scared to death. None went in, none came out from Jericho. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, Joshua, look, look. I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. I have given you the city. It's yours. But Lord, we haven't even gone into battle. I know it's yours. I've already done this. Then he tells them how to take it, the war playbook. Are you ready? He says, you shall take four classes of jujitsu. No? <laughs> you shall go to general camp, and I'm going to teach you how to do war. I'm going to teach you how to wield a sword. No? Here's the playbook. He says, you shall march around the city. All the men of war going around the city once, thus you shall do it for six days. Okay, wait, come again? You just want me to march around the city one time for six days? Yep, one time each day. I just want you to get the guys together, go walk around the city, and then come back home. Verse 4, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, and on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall, bow the, shall blow the trumpets... 
And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. This is crazy. So Joshua told the priests and the people to do this, and they are to march around the city of Jericho six times in a row, one time each day, but did not blow the horns or say a word as commanded. They marched in silence and must have just continued to scare Jericho into fear more and more. Can you imagine being a soldier on the other side of the wall getting ready to fight and they don't attack? You're like a young guy. You just got enlisted into the military. You're like sitting there up on the wall. You got your, you got your bow. You're like ready to fire an arrow. You're like, okay, here it comes. Here they come, ready for battle. You look over the wall. It's like, Sir, you want us to fire? No, hold, cease fire. What are they doing? Um, they're walking around. They took a walk around the city. They're going home. Then the next day they show up and they do the same thing. And it's dead silent. Like eerie silent. They got trumpets, they got horns, they got all their armor. It's dead silent out there. And they're just looking. Can you imagine them doing this six days in a row? You're a soldier thinking to yourself, what in the world is going on? Is this a parade? But on the seventh day, they do something different. They march around the city seven times. They just keep going. And after the seventh time, look what happens. Verse 15, on the seventh day they rose early, and at the dawn of day they marched around the city in the name of the manor seven, in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be destroyed devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell flat to the ground so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They start worshiping the Lord with the trumpets. And everybody starts shouting at the top of their lungs. And who shows up and levels the city? The commander of the Lord. The commander of the Lord's army. He shows up and fights for them. They didn't lift a finger. All they did was worship God. And the city fell. He showed up and fought for them. He leveled the city victorious. And I want to tell you today, I believe that if Christians would just stand up, worship God, walk in the ways of his word, listen to him, he would give us a city. Plot twist in our story, I'm just going to tell you about it. In chapter 7, they get ready for war. They're going to take over AI. AI only is a few hundred or thousand soldiers. 
So they put together two to 3,000 soldiers, and Joshua's lead men go in to attack Ai, and all of a sudden, they start losing. They just won the biggest war of their life. They conquered the greatest city, and they go into this small town, and they can't take over these, and they start getting hammered, and 36 men die. And they start retreating, and they run back to Joshua, and they tell him what happened. General, we went in. We, we tried to go in and battle like we were trained to do, like we were told to do. And 36 of our men were killed. Joshua looks at them in the face, and it says that he tears his clothes. He rents his clothes in brokenness, and he goes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, what happened? And the Lord says to him, it was an easy battle. There are only a few hundred, maybe a thousand men there. You could not conquer them because there is sin in your camp. He's like, what? There's sin in your camp. When the city of Jericho fell, one of your men went in and took the idols and the gods that were in the city, and he has hid them in his tent. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes, and I want you to line them up. And I'm going to tell you which tribe it is. Then I want you to line up every single man from each household, and I'm going to tell you which household it is. And then you're going to go into that tent, and you're going to find those idols there, and you're going to get rid of them. You're going to destroy them. There will be no other gods being worshipped in this camp. And that's exactly what happens. The Lord shows Joshua the exact tent. It's a man named Achan. And they go into his tent, and they find the idols. He says, I took them when we were told by the Lord not to take any of them. The word of the Lord is true. He said very simply, obey my word, walk with me, and you will have good success. I believe that this is an easy fight for the Lord our God, is it not? You know why the church is losing in America? It's because there's sin in the camp. We all have sin in the camp to some degree, but some may be just living in absolute sinful ways and do not care about the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you, that kind of sin, God has allowed the church to start to fall, be divided, and be completely messed up. We have easy battles. We can conquer Jericho, but we're losing everywhere because we're not dealing with the sin in the camp. The most powerful thing you could ever do is come holy to God and say, Lord, no more. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But I am not going to allow a sinful pattern of sin in my life. I'm not going to erect an idol in my home and start worshiping that God. I'm not doing that. We need to cleanse the church. We need to get things right. And then we will start winning Jericho's then we will be prosperous. Then we will have the boldness of God in our bones. Amen? I'm sorry to take it that way, but man, when I read the next chapter, I'm like, this is America. We have forsaken the Lord our God and are worshiping other directions. We take on every other God except the Lord God. And the churches are doing all kinds of things. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord.
Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would please work in us. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that we deal with sin. Oh, God, that we would deal with sin. That we would just come to you clean and confess and be honest. Say, Lord, help me. Save me. Forgive me. No sin in this camp. Clean my house, Lord. Make it new. Search my heart. Know me, O God. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I want to walk with you with all of my heart. Oh, that we would give up those things. We would get away from those things and stop the destruction from falling on our lives. Oh, Father, be gracious to us. Be merciful to us. Heal our church. Heal our land. Cause us to be a people that loves you with all of our heart and loves one another, serves one another, loves our neighbor. Peace with our neighbor. Please, Lord, use us for your glory in this city. Give us that boldness. At first, let us deal with these things that are stopping us from it. We give it to you. We turn away from sin. We make you king. We make you Lord. We walk with you. And I pray that you'd strengthen us in boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand up. Can I read a story to you and then we'll pray? I should say chant. I love to give a benediction and pray for you and we'll be on our way out. This story is awesome. It says on February 19th, 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez, he set sail from Mexico with an entourage of 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and only 553 soldiers. 500 soldiers. The indigenous population upon his arrival was approximately 5 million. From a purely mathematical standpoint, the odds were stacked against him by a ratio of 7,541 to 1. 7,000 men to 1 in the battle. Two previous expeditions had failed to even establish a settlement in the New World, yet Cortez conquered much of South America, America, the South American continent. What Cortez is reported to have done after landing is an epic tale of mythical proportions. He issued an order that turned his mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. As the men got off the boats, there's only 500 of them on the shore, and they see an army of five million he says to his men burn the ships he set fire to the ships and they burnt there in the ocean and as his crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink they came to terms with the fact that the retreat retreating was not an option there's a lesson to be learned here because they went on to conquer Nine times out of ten, failure is resorting to plan B when plan A gets too risky, too costly, or too difficult. That's why most people are living their plan B. They didn't burn the ships. Plan A people don't have a plan B. We're all in. The plan B is holding on to the sin in our lives, those idols, and holding on to them. We need to burn these things to the ground, the sin in our lives, and go wholly into the Lord. And watch Him then give us opportunity. Watch him use us in this city. I want to see this for our church more than ever. I'm all in. 
I'm here. We're here. Really want to open up all the valves of legacy into this next year and just turn it all on full blast and see what God will do. Enough rebuilding. The foundation is built. Now it is time to take steps forward into the future and watch God save in the city. Watch God do a great work. Amen? I believe that we will grow and we will eclipse even what God has done in the last seven years. But we need to take steps of faith to see it happen. We need to clean out the sin in our lives, burn the ships, and give our hearts wholly to God. Amen? Amen. Amen.